so if you have your Bibles open then, uh, Romans chapter 8, we have an opportunity again to step out of 1 Corinthians. We are not avoiding it. We'll be going back to it next, uh, well, in two weeks, I guess. Um, but on uh, the Lord's Day when we have communion, I just want to maybe focus a little bit on Christ and different aspects of our union with Christ and our relationship with Christ. And one of the aspects of our relationship with Christ is how we deal with um, uh, sin that continues to live in our lives. And it's certainly appropriate as we come to the Lord's table to think about um, this particular uh, 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 issue and reality in our lives. And so I want to read from verses 12 uh, to, the, to verse 14 of Romans chapter 8 and use that uh, as our text uh, this morning. So then, brothers... We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons to whom we cry, Abba, Father. God, we come to your word. What an incredible gift it is to us. It's a word that has teeth. It's a word that matters. Every word of it matters from Genesis to Revelation. It's not a word that we can tinker with or adjust or change to suit our lives. But rather, it's a word to which our lives are to adjust and change to bring in accordance with. And so as we think about these few verses today and just a, a couple aspects of how they help us and how they encourage us and how they motivate us, um, would they be of practical benefit to us as well as um, benefit to our worship and our praise and our adoration of you? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My hope is that on these Lord's Day's communion, when we focus a little bit more on Christ, that it would impress upon us the importance of finding Christ and of finding Him in our lives. I was thinking the other day, uh, sitting in my study, looking out into our garden, and in our garden, um, we have sun that, you know, obviously the sun rises in the east, at least at our garden, I don't know about yours, but it comes up in the east and it kind of flies over our house and then over our garden and uh, it goes down behind a bunch of trees. So we really get some nice sun until about 1 o'clock, 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and then we get a lot of shade. And as I was looking out in the garden, it struck me, as it hasn't uh, before, that all of our flowers are orientated to the sun. Uh, you might think, well, Paul, where have you been for 57 years? <laughs> but my daisies, my daisies, our daisies, and our roses... The whole bush of roses is just like beaming towards the sun, and our daisies are bent over, straining to get every bit of sun. Our, our garden, we've got um, some plants in our gardens, and the ones that are closest to the sun, even by eight inches, are bigger than the ones that are behind those. And it's a, it's a fascinating thing, at least observation for me, how each flower and each plant is straining to get the light. And I thought about this in relation to Christ, the sunrise from on high, and how you and I should orient our lives to Christ. How wherever we find ourselves, we should be straining, we should be looking, we should be rearranging ourselves and our circumstances so that we might get a glimpse 
and a vision of the glory and the beauty of Christ, that it would orient all that we do. And it's amazing as we gather around this table in a few moments that that's what this table is about. It's about Christ. And I hope that as we um, get our way to the table that our hope will be to strain in our spirits to see Christ. My hope is that we will want to do whatever we can to get the most of the sunshine of Christ to be reflective in our life. That we would do whatever we could to orient ourselves to Jesus Christ this morning. As we were thinking about this text in Romans chapter 8, when we looked at it last month, what we talked about was how we um, want to develop a new way of thinking or a way of thinking that will help us deal with sin that still lives in us even though we are followers of Jesus Christ. And last month when we got together, I just encouraged us to, re, to, to think about a new way of thinking. That as we embrace the Christian life, we have to begin to change how we think, to get a new mindset. And one of those mindsets is orientated to how we think about sin. And so we realize that as Paul says this, that if we are led by the Spirit, we will put to death the deeds of the flesh. And so I, I, I presented to us a, a way of thinking about how the Spirit helps us to recognize my need to put to death sin. Without the Spirit of God, I would think of the actions in my life, and I think, well, they don't really matter. They don't, who, who really cares? God doesn't really care. I don't really have a need to deal with this. But the Spirit helps me see that sin matters, and so I need to deal with it. The Spirit helps us, though, specifically realize that I need to deal with sin. It's not enough for me to look around and say, well, that person really, they're in trouble, and, and they really need the help of God to deal with that sin in their life. I've just watched them, and oh, it's not good. What we need is the Spirit to continually remind us individually that I have areas in my life that I have not yet submitted to Christ, and I need to bring those in line with His Word. I think we also realize, though, that the Spirit enables me to put to death sin in our lives. I don't know about you, but there are times when I think that I can do it by myself, and I just fall just massively over myself and on my head, and I realize that in my own strength, I have no power even to defeat a defeated power. And so it's the Spirit of God that enables me. So I need to train myself. I need to remind myself. I need to think that, okay, I need to go about my day with the Spirit of God helping me. And then finally, um, we talked about just the fact that we need the Spirit to focus our will. I need to want to deal with sin. It's one thing to be aware of it. It's one thing to be aware that I have sin. It's one thing to be aware that the Spirit helps me. It's entirely another thing to, to want to deal with sin in our lives because sometimes we enjoy it. Sometimes we don't see its effect as that bad. Sometimes we think that maybe God tolerates it, but he doesn't. Um, oh, a song is going through my head. I better not say it. So we need to develop a new way of thinking. What I want to talk about this morning from this passage again is just three motivations then for dealing with sin. I think anytime you want to achieve something in life, Generally, there's a motivation that helps you achieve that. If we didn't have motivation, we would have very few goals that we would ever reach or achieve um, because there would be nothing that would, would give us the, the desire or the impetus or reward us for reaching that goal. And so it might be I want to lose 10 pounds and, uh, because I want to fit into my wedding dress. Not mine, but anyhow. Anyhow. <laughs> um, and so there's motivation. Um, uh, you know, it might be more serious. I, I, I'm motivated to do this because my health is in jeopardy. 
Or, you know, I want to have so much money set aside by the time I'm 65. I'm, and so that's my goal. And so I'm motivated to work until I'm 80. <laughs> um, but, uh, but nonetheless, we have motivations, don't we, that help us reach goals. Similarly, we need motivation to help us achieve sanctification in our lives. And um, if you're new to Christian faith, or you wrestle, sanctification is, is simply the process whereby which we are transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And that is the biggest priority that we have as followers of Jesus Christ, this side of eternity, is sanctification, this process of transformation that takes place in our lives. And so Paul in this text gives us three motivations to pursue the killing of sin in our lives. The first motivation is, is probably the only one that we need. It's a massive one, but it's the motivation that eternity hangs in the balance. Paul says very clearly there in verse 12, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The motivation is death or life. That is considerable motivation. You can't miss it. What, what, what Paul is trying to tell us is think about the harvest. Don't just look at the present, but look at the end of your life. And in fact, look at eternity. And understand that what you do now has direct consequences to your eternal state, whether it's death or life. There are times when we refer to a situation and we would say, well, that person's life is hanging in the balance or uh, something like this is a life or death situation. And we understand that in the physical realm that, that, that you know, you know there's, there's maybe some guy bobbing up and down in his boat that's overturned and his life is really in the balance and there's this storm and if the Coast Guard doesn't get to him in a, in very quickly, he's going to be in trouble. Or we, we might... We might um, uh, uh, see somebody that's ill and in need of medical treatment, and we would say, unless they get help soon, their life is, uh, or their life is in the balance. What's true uh, physically is also true spiritually. That when it comes to dealing with sin, our life is literally and eternally in the balance. Uh, I have done a little bit of uh, intentional gardening this year. And my wife has done most of it. But I have discovered this undeniable, unchangeable fact. What you plant, you reap. Every time. If you plant a carrot seed, you're not going to get potatoes. If you plant, plant a lettuce seed, you're not going to get roses. It's unmistakable. It's undeniable. There's nothing that overturns it. What you plant, you will eventually reap. Um, and there's no way around it. Well, what is true physically is also true spiritually. And it's, Paul is trying to remind us of this in Romans chapter 8 and drive this home to us as a motivation that the things that you sow, you will reap without mistake. There's a passage that Paul writes in another book, and he begins the passage by saying, don't be deceived. I don't know if you've ever thought about deception. Deception is something we can do to ourselves. You can be self-deceived. And there's many times in which we deceive ourselves for various reasons. And you can also be deceived by others. To be deceived means to be dis, uh, misled. Um, it means to be conned. It means to be tricked, to be betrayed, to be deluded, to be lied to, to be duped. 
All of those are negative words, and we don't like any of them. Um, we don't like it when we're deceived um, by somebody else, and we trick ourselves when we self-disease ourselves. But Paul says, do not be deceived. Paul, or God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. There is a world of self-deception and of external deception that says that's not true. But God says, do not be deceived. Do not be mocked. Whatever a person sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, and the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. It's an inconvertible... Oh, I can't even say that. You can't change the law um, uh, spiritually. How do we deceive ourselves, or how does deception come in then when it comes to this law of harvest? Well, I think sometimes we... Um, fool ourselves or other people trick us into saying, you know, it, it really all that matters is the present. Come on, don't, don't kid yourselves. All that matters is the present and there is no such thing as tomorrow. There's really no value in tomorrow. We don't really don't know what tomorrow will bring and after all, our, our present doesn't impact our tomorrow, so just live for today. And we see that in, 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 in the scriptures where we find that phrase, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. It's, just, it's sort of this this, this view that really says today's all that matters. We live for ourselves, for our pleasures, for our security, for our happiness. All we do is rooted in today. Actions of today don't have implications for tomorrow. And if our, ap- our actions do have implications for tomorrow, they certainly don't have significance beyond this life. And so we deceive ourselves. And we say, well, it's just today, and who cares about tomorrow? Secondly, we deceive ourselves when we think that we have a long time to get things right and to change things. This is a significant error, though. And we forget that there is an exact correlation to between, between what we plant and what we reap. That what you plant, you will sow. And that as you begin to plant thoughts and acts and form habits and character, those over the long term will determine your destiny. Have you ever asked why is it so difficult for people naturally to turn to Christ later in their life? I say naturally because in the end of the day, one turning to Christ is a supernatural act of God, period, where God breathes new life into those that were dead. But from a natural perspective, it's, it's, it's less and less common the older one gets and the more sinful one is for those persons to turn to Christ. Well, why? It's because their whole orientation of life is towards death. All the seeds that they have planted are now beginning to grow and bear fruit. The way they've spent their money, the philosophy of life that they have embraced and lived by, the worldview that impacts their thinking, the people who influence their life have all shaped them and directed them and formed them. And now, after years of living and planting and watering, their whole character has been directed in a certain way. That's why, from a human perspective, the longer one rebels against God, the more one rebellious one is towards God, the more difficult it is for that person to have their eyes opened and to see God because they don't even, they're not orientated that way at all. Kath and I did a little rearranging of our kitchen probably about six years ago, maybe more. One of the parts that we arranged was where the cutlery drawer is. And the cutlery drawer used to be here. And for some reason, we changed and we put the cutlery drawer over here. 
Do you know that in those days when I'm not thinking and I'm making a cup of coffee or when I, I go here to find a spoon? That's because before we rearranged the cutlery drawers, we had eight years of living in that house. And that shaped and formed my behavior. And my, it just naturally is what I did. Well, that is even more profoundly true in the spiritual realm. And so it becomes very difficult for us naturally to buck those habits and trends that have formed in our lives. Not only then is it a deception when we think to ourselves, well, we have time to get things right. We don't know how many days we have either. As the Bible clearly says, God knows the number of our days. And when those days are up, our life will conclude. Uh, the third way that we deceive ourselves, and these are all related. Remember, Paul says, don't be deceived. We come to think that our actions are totally unrelated to tomorrow. It's a massive deception that a lot of young people embrace in their lives because they live for the moment. They don't live with a view of what's to come. They don't live with a view of what's 50 years down the road or 60 years down the road. And so they participate and engage in and plant seeds that they think will just naturally just change and bear different fruit when they're 50 or when they're 60 years old. We need to realize that there is a consequence and there is a reality of a seed time and a harvest in our life. It was Ralph Walder Emerson who wrote, Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an act, and you reap a habit. Sow a habit, and you reap a character. Sow a character, and you reap a destiny. I don't know if you, you've connected, but it, it, it begins with a thought. Do you know that? That everything in our life begins with a thought. And that thought is then acted on, and those actions then are acted on again and again, and they become habits. And after a while, that habit becomes a character, and after a while, that character leads us to a destiny. And this is why we have to have this long-term view of life, that what we do today will influence who we are, if God wills, 50 years down the road. Uh, Emerson was asked this question, what is the hardest thing in the world? To do and he said his answer was to think I think we could probably all answer but I, I think there's profound wisdom there think about the harvest of your thoughts and your actions will they lead to death or will they lead to life that's what Paul is saying here if by uh, 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 in 12 it, 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 verse 13 if you live according to the flesh if you sow according to the flesh, if you don't deal with sin in your life and you cultivate sin in your life, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. It would seem to me also, finally, from observation, that the more mature the crop, the less pervasive the weeds. If you have a flourishing garden and and you've kind of tended it, there tends to be less weeds over time. There's, there's no room, there's no soil, there's no nourishment for them to grow. All the other plants have got deeper roots, and they take the moisture, and they take the nutrients, and they flourish, and the weeds yeah, flourish here and there, but they die. Well, the converse is true as well. That if your garden is full of weeds, and you decide that you want to stick a little plant in there that is a good plant, good chance that plant will be swallowed up by the weeds. And so we need to understand 
that the more the mature the crop, the less pervasive the weeds or the less pervasive the righteousness. So that's motivation one for dealing with sin in our life. What you sow, you will reap. Think about the harvest in your life. Uh, the second motivation is, I think, uh, a powerful one as well. I don't know if you've ever thought of this. When you, if you think about this as a, as a Christian and you're wrestling with sin, it's simply this, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. They are sons and daughters of God. One of the things that I'm learning too late in life, and I read all these books and I come across all these things and I wish, man, I wish I had known this when I was 15 or 16, but is that we need to move beyond seeing the danger of sin, and that is its consequences only, and find ways to convince our hearts and make our hearts aware of the grievousness of sin. It's not just the fact that I sin and, wow, there's bad consequences to that. But who gets hurt in the process? David said in Psalm 51, um, he recognized this, although he had brutally mistreated Bathsheba and had her husband killed. When he's dealing with God, he says, against you and you only have I sinned. His heart was broken. The, the grievous reality of his, his actions had sort of come to bear on him and weigh on him. And so I think one of the things that helps us as we um, remember this motivation that we are a child of God is self-talk. We've talked a lot about self-talk over the years, and I, I am more and more convinced that self-talk matters. Um, John Owen, in his little book, The Mortification of Sin, um, says that what we need to learn to do as, as Christians is devise ways of, of, of speaking spiritual soliloquies to ourselves. A soliloquy is just a, a personal speech. And he says we need to learn how to talk to ourselves as we are dealing with situations in our life. We need to learn how to preach to ourselves or how to talk to our own hearts using biblical truths in ways that especially weaken um, false beliefs that we have or wrong attitudes that we're cultivating. So here, for instance, as we're thinking about how, how sin affects our father, we might say, how can I treat my father like this? How can, I, how can I do what, my, what is displeasing to my father when he has done so much for me, when he has loved me so deeply, when he has given so greatly to my needs in my life? How can I just throw that all in his face and walk in the other direction? We have a conversation with ourselves, and, and the conversation is rooted on my valued relationship with my heavenly father and all the good things that he has done for me and continues to do for me. And it's like almost I talk myself out of sin because of my relationship with the Father. Notice the link there, he says, for all who are led by the Spirit. I like this just because I'm not good, as I said earlier, fighting these things on my own. And so when I deal with sin in my life and when God reminds me of something that I need to do, I recognize that the Spirit will help me that he will give me strength, that he will guide me, he will give me ways out, that he will help me cling to the promises of God, that he will show me Christ, he will show me God, and so he'll help me. And that's such an encouragement um, in my life. Uh, I sometimes am like a little child. And m all of us who have parents have probably experienced this. When you have a, a little kid, and particularly, you know, two, three, four years old, and they can do everything. 
And so you, you get in their shoes and they're struggling. You say, let me help you with I can do it. You know, and you say, let me help you. I can put on my coat by myself. Well, they say it nicely, more nicely than that. But, but, you know, they've got this strong sense of independence that they don't need anybody's help. And I think sometimes we are like that in the spiritual realm with God. And Paul says, why be like that? Embrace the Spirit's help in your life. He says, all who are led by the Spirit. I think we have um, misunderstood this phrase, at least particularly in Romans chapter 8 here. Um, sometimes we, we say, well, the Spirit led me to do this, and the Spirit led me to do that, and the Spirit led me to talk to this person, and the Spirit led me to go to that store. And, and, and that may be true, and it may be found in another place in Scripture, but I don't think that that is what's being referred to at all here in this text when Paul says, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. The Spirit is not some divine guidance system, like the divine Christian GPS system. What Paul is saying here is all who are led by the Spirit in putting to death the deeds of the flesh. That's one of the Spirit's primary roles in our lives is to help us deal with sin that still persists in our lives. And so the Spirit of God, on a day-to-day -day basis, helps us put to death sin. And then I come back to this motivation. Uh, this motivation that you are a son or a daughter of God. You know family matters, don't you? I think one of the things that grieves natural parents the most is a child who rebels against their home, who speaks awful things about their mom and their dad and, um, and, and rejects everything that they've done and walks in their own direction and, and, and throws back in the parents' face everything they believe in, everything that they think is right, everything that they've trained them to be. There are few things that will rip a parent's heart out more than that kind of reaction to a natural family. So why do we do that when it comes to God? Our motivation to God should be, God, you have done so much for me. Your love has been poured out so profusely and so profoundly and so lavishly in my life. There is nothing good that I need that you have withheld from my hand. Everything that, that I want and everything that I could need, you promised to provide for me. You are my good shepherd. You lead me. You direct me. You discipline me. You have a home prepared for me. It doesn't make sense then that we should throw that all in the Father's face and walk in a way that is displeasing to him. Healthy families care about each other and concern for each other. Is this not even more important when we think about our relationship with God? God, I, I'm sorry that I was even thinking of doing that. I know that's not what you want of me. I know that's not how you've raised me. I know that's not how you, 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 you see my future. I'm sorry. And so a motivation then, we have two motivations that we look at. The first is remember the harvest. Don't kid yourself. Don't be deceived. There is a harvest. You, you sow something and you will reap. And so if you sow to the flesh, you will reap death. If you sow to the spirit, you will reap life. The second motivation is remember whose you are. You're a son or a daughter of the king. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us. That we should be as servants, as slaves? No, that we should be called sons and daughters of God. And finally, a uh, third motivation, and we looked at this uh, a couple weeks ago, um, but I just want to remind us of it. 
as I'm united with Christ and his spirit dwells in me. Paul talks about that in the beginning part of chapter 8. He says, for those of you who are in Christ, and verse 2 he says, for you are set free um, in Christ. A little bit later he says in verse 10 that Christ is in you. In verse 9 he said that God dwells in you. Um, and I've tried to remind us of this, help us understand this, and I, I think it's a profound shift that happens in our life that Christ is not outside of us. Christ is, yes, he was a historical person that lived on this earth. Yes, he died on the cross. But, but I think Christians fail when we fall short of realizing that, yes, Christ was outside of us. But when we are born again, Christ now comes to live in us. He dwells in us. Everywhere we go, everything we say, everything we touch, everything we see, everything we hear, Christ hears. We, we can't go anywhere and leave Christ out at the door. It's a stunning sort of revolution in our life as Christians when we understand the implications of being united with Jesus Christ. That we were buried with him. We died with him. We've been raised with him. We've ascended with him. And that now the spirit of Christ lives in us. That's massive motivation, I believe, to walk in a manner that deals with sin in our life. God has given us two of the most precious things that God could ever give us. His Son and His Spirit. God enjoyed eternal fellowship before this world was ever created. He enjoyed eternal fellowship, completely sufficient in Himself with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And God in His grace and His mercy has given to us those precious gifts. Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit. And so to resist putting sin to death in our life and to live with it and to tolerate it is to treat with contempt the gifts that God has given to us. Through faith in Jesus Christ and the work that he's accomplished on the cross, we're united with Christ. He's not just outside of us, but he dwells inside of us. We're united with him. To refuse to put to death then sin in our life is to deny our union with Christ. Jesus came from heaven to the shame of the cross to die for our sin. And God sent his spirit through whom we put to death the deeds of the flesh to come in or in, to live in us in order that we might deal with those things that raise their ugly heads in our lives and in our minds. And so we say, why would I live for that for which Christ died? Why? why? Why would I live for that? Why would we continue in sin from which the Spirit has come to deliver us? Why would we say to our Father, despite your best gifts to me, Father, I'm going to do this anyhow. I'm going to think this anyhow. I'm going to entertain this anyhow. It's a significant motivation for us as we walk the Christian life and as we pursue sanctification to realize that actions have consequences. Thoughts lead to acts, lead to habits, lead to character, lead to destiny. It's a significant as thing as we're dealing with uh, fighting sin in our life to realize that we are sons and daughters of God and that everything we do reflects back on His name and His good goodness to us and His grace to us. And then thirdly, that God has given us this incredible motivation of the Spirit who lives in us and Christ who dwells in us 
And so when we're tempted to feel the power of sin, and we do feel its power and its tug on our actions, the gospel gives us something to say. This is what I mean, talk to yourself. We all talk to ourselves. Every day, every single one of us talks to ourselves. So let's learn to add into that conversation gospel talk. And some of the gospel talk might be this. When you're facing a temptation, whoa, whoa, Christ bled and he died for me. And he died for this sin. I'm not going to have anything to do with it, therefore, because Christ died to free me of this. I'm united now with Christ by his spirit. How can I drag him into this with me? If I realize, and we realize, that our sin has these kind of consequences, ultimately death, then we should have sufficient motivation to rely on the good gifts that God has given us to deal with sin in our lives. So our encouragement today, and I hope it's encouragement, talk yourself out of death into life. Do it because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Do it because you are a son or a daughter of God. Do it because Christ lives in you and the Spirit of God dwells in you. You're a child of the King. Father in heaven, thank you for uh, a few minutes around your word today and an opportunity to reflect on a battle that all of us face. It's just a reality of life here this side of eternity that while the penalty of sin has been paid by Christ, and we're going to celebrate that in a few moments, the power of sin has been broken, but it's not been completely dispelled from our lives. And so until then, we need to be reminded of the influence of ongoing sin in our life and the way that we root it out, squash it, and replace it with affections for you. As we gather around this table now, Father, I thank you for this reminder of what Christ has done for me outside of me and yet the reminder of the power that is in me because Christ now dwells in me. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.